All right. Shabbat Shalom one more time tonight. This is the late show. Uh, for those of you who are still up with me, um, yeah, here we go. Now, the last uh, six months or so, I've been putting out a lot of very polished videos. And by that, I mean, I, I, will, I will go into uh, a quiet place. I will record a script. I will go back and edit it, and I will put it in part of up with all these pretty pictures and present to you a video. And uh, it takes me a lot of time to do that. If I'm putting out two of those videos per week, that's about two and a half days worth of work that then I'm not able, that I still have to come up with new scripts, which means new research, new writing. I still got a, a, the, the TUC book publishing to run, the magazine, the website, all these things still got to prepare for Torah. It, it's crazy. Like it fills up the schedule. And I've been falling behind and, and I'm for a while for the immediate future, I'm going back to just giving presentations like this, uh, which I can take you better through the context of that anyway. So in review, you see this here, this is 53680 year of the fire reset. Now, why am I showing you this? Um, it seems like my, I, I came up with this time. Now I didn't come up with the timeline. Okay. I, I say this time and again, Okay, when it comes to the timing of the millennial kingdom of Yahushua HaMashiach, which I believe was a thousand year reign that was, it's eternal kingdom, but there was a thousand years that was opened up for our side of the realm where it was, uh, it was declassified, the hidden wilderness was declassified for us. And I have changed my opinion. I do believe New Jerusalem is on the earth now. Um, and I believe it was probably on the earth during the millennial kingdom. Uh so for me, scripture has always been an X marks the spot affair. All right. I use the I use the Bible and, and extra biblical books as a treasure map. And I'm not trying to be clever with you. I'm not taking out, I'm I'm not like a great mathematician. I'm not getting out a calculator and ah, like I punched all these numbers and I figured it out. Guys, all I'm all I was going with were these books of the Bible, like the, the Gospel of Nicodemus, Adam and Eve, different books like that. I used to read these years ago and go, hmm, it says. It says Messiah arrived in the year 5,500. That's when he was resurrected from the dead. And then 500 years later, his kingdom would be manifested on the earth. I'm like, I did the math on that. That would be like, that would be like the year 500 AD. Well, that can't be right. It didn't happen. So are these books, should I toss these books out? Well, you guys know that I don't really like to do that. I When I come upon things in books like this, I come across issues all the time. I find a lot with like, say, Paul, I look at him and go like, I don't know what to do with this information. And I just set it aside. And then all of a sudden it just starts unwinding and starts coming together. And so for me, it was, I, I don't know why so many people are fighting against this timeline. It makes so much sense. I went straight to this and go, well, these books, multiple books, I was pulling out a bunch of sources saying 500 years later, the kingdom is going to manifest it on the earth. Now the kingdom is eternal. The kingdom was then. Yahushua HaMashiach came, he took, uh, he, he promised the people that generation of 70 AD, he said, I'm coming for you and taking you to where I am. He didn't say he was going to establish it there in Judea. Judea was destroyed. He went and took them elsewhere, all right, to his eternal kingdom. And I, I showed you the, the, the phoenix, how it comes every 500 years, but something strange happened in 30 AD. The historians note that uh, this, there was a swoop, like a sneak attack where this phoenix comes in during the reign of Emperor, Ti Emperor Tiberius. Well, we know that was 30 AD when the dead were resurrected. That was when the phoenix came. 
when did it come again? 500 years later, about uh, five, 530 ish, give or take, right? And I believe the dead are resurrected again. Well, what do we see? This astonishingly, it all fits, right? The, the dark ages begin in, in, in the 500s and it ends in the 15, around 1500s, 500 to 1500. And 536 AD is considered by the normies uh, to be the worst year in recorded history. This is what kicked, this ended Rome. This kicked uh, off the, uh, the the Dark Ages. So I'm not going over this all here, um, but I wanted to point out that it is the um, uh, the tree stumps. Let's see if we can get down here. Uh, we, these uh, the tree rings all show that the year 531, uh, five, uh, yeah, Let's see, what is it? Uh, yeah, five, 536, all in there. The, those are the worst years when we know that the, the sun didn't shine for 18 months. It was dark. There was a weird fog on the ground, uh, blood coming down, just crazy stuff. It was, it was a, a frozen time. All the crops failed. Not a good time to be alive. And I show the, the uh, it, they're finding more and more that there were, now, these tree stumps go all the way from um, Mongolia up through Siberia to Ireland, all the way out to North America and California and down into Mexico and South America. They're finding these tree rings all over the earth simultaneously. They're finding that there were multiple volcanoes that went off all the way up in Alaska, all the way out in um, uh, uh, like Papua New Guinea area, all over the world, just volcanoes going off, all right? So that's 536 for you. Then we get to the year 537. And this is, interestingly enough, the end of Camelot. This is the year when King Arthur died. Um, and I have a lot of information on that. I'll give so I'm gonna, I have more information to pull on this that I will be giving presentations on in the coming weeks because I have come to the conclusion, and it makes total sense, I've been eating up Arthurian literature recently and just devouring this stuff. I, I, just and I'm, I'm just finally seeing it's all opening up to me that this was what you would say are uh, controllers or inheritors. This was their way to cover their tracks of the millennial kingdom. It was their way to give their wishful thinking of their 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 idea of the millennial kingdom of their you know Camelot is their version of the kingdom upon the earth. It's the counterfeit, and I'll be. Uh, talking about that but it's interesting that in 537 is the year when uh arthur historically died and they're telling they're telling you something there the dream was dead right uh the millennial kingdom came down upon the earth uh scrolling past all this research because i'm not ready to go over this all with you tonight but here's what i'm going to cover oh yeah 541 year of the apocalypse let me give you a preview preview though of next week i'm going to be going over Oh, I just skipped it all. Sorry, guys. I'm going to be going over next week my next presentation on Muhammad in the Millennial Kingdom. Yes, I went down to the uh, used bookstore and I picked up a copy of the Quran and I read it. And I'm going to give my thoughts next week, God willing, if I don't get my head sawed off first, uh, on what I think was going on with Muhammad in the Quran. And yes, I do believe that it the timeline all connects uh, I, I actually believe that the Quran was written after the initiation of the Millennial Kingdom. Some people won't like to hear that, but it just, it's my theory. So let's get into this. 541 AD, year of the apocalypse. So remember now, uh, 536, year of the fire reset. 
massive volcanoes all over the world. This is the fire that I believe Peter was talking about, the fire judgment events. The sun went dark. The, the moon, the stars refused to shine. It was a terrible time. Camelot comes to him in. There's war, death everywhere. What follows after that? Well, you know, you look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I actually am convinced that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are actual entities. And, you know, everyone, they look at Revelation like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, either they haven't come yet. It's like, no, come on, man. They've been, they've been coming all through history. Look at the Second World War. They, they just, they ride around and around and the same things happen, you know, and pestilence and disease and death follows at the end of it, right? First, the first horseman is you have a false peace, a false prophet, you know, whatever, false religion, politics, leading the people astray. It leads to war, to famine, to death, all right? By this point in our relationship, you've been made well aware of the year 536, right? I just kind of went over that with you tonight. I'm calling it the year of the fire reset, though the normies are at least admitting it was the worst year in recorded history. I would think that Noah's flood would be a lot worse than that. But, you know, it, it was a bad year. I'll take their confession as a win for team history. The year which followed, 537, incurred other notable troubles like the death of King Arthur and the end of a place called Camelot. I take it you read through both of those reports, and if not... Don't use me as your excuse. I've already dropped you two links in the opening paragraph intended here to act as footnotes. And you could see the links are on there. And you could, you know, go read this uh, paper on my website, including the one on Muhammad, if you want to jump ahead. The clock is ticking. Get to it, man. Be sure to give them a read and don't forget to have a good time. That's the key. You got to have a good time when you read my work. But then supposing you've, you know, sit down to a cup of coffee, um, you know, maybe some of you, it's toilet reading literature, whatever, just have a good time. But then supposing you fulfilled your duty, I am here to explain in layman terms that you've hardly been caught up to speed. All those people claiming 536 was the worst year in recorded history, what pipe are they smoking from? That was just a preview to 541, the year in which the apocalypse rained down upon the earth. The official title is the plague of justinian that's what it's called you know the official narrative but i'm going with the apocalypse with a capital a and sticking to it have you read the definition of apocalypse lately it's biblical apocalypse noun one of the jewish and christian writings of 200 bc to 8150 it's kind of interesting they talk about the the apocalyptic literature genre goes up to 8150 actually it goes past that but obviously there was a lot of literature being written at that time marked by uh, pseudonymity, pseudonymity, what a fun word, symbolic imagery, and the expectation of an imminent cosmic cataclysm in which God destroys the ruling powers of evil and raises the righteous to life in a messianic kingdom, Marion Webster. So that's what I'm going with by Apocalypse, the year of the Apocalypse. This is the year that brought about the destroyed the ruling powers of evil and rose the righteous to life in messianic kingdom. At least, you know, the, the plague of Justinian started, what, 541, and it went for like eight or nine years, so over that decade. To address the concerns of everyone out there who thinks I'm flip-flopping with my stance on Revelation, apocalypse can be employed in various ways. The destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, finally culminating with the siege of Masada in 72 AD, was most definitely an apocalypse, as well as the fulfillment of every prophecy concerning Yehuda's existence in the former kingdom of Yasharel. 
because there's some fighting words right there. Yehusha HaMashiach was seen in the clouds, uh, the Perusia. He came in his kingdom to confront the temple controllers, and I'm not backing down from that claim. Rome wasn't destroyed in that decade, though, not even in the first century. It is the ushering in of the Dark Ages, as you will know by now, which has my hawk-like gaze. And this is that event. All roads lead to Rome, or um, in this instance, Constantinople. Actually, uh, Byzantine, really. What started with the 536 fiasco climaxed with the Justinian, Justin, I can't even say it, the Justinianic plague, the plague of Justinian or the Justinianic plague in 541, though it lasted until 549, as I just mentioned, cause and effect. I'm of the opinion that it was the apocalypse in every sense of the word. The ruling power, that's weird, this like got moved down a couple um, uh, lines, whatever. It was the apocalypse in every sense of the word. The ruling powers of evil were destroyed. The righteous were raised to life. The quote unquote dark ages, and you guys you know, know what I mean by that in uh, you know, kind of big brother terminology or William language, AKA the messianic kingdom was made known. It lines up with the arrival of the Phoenix 500 years after the 3080 resurrection event and so much else of what I've already shown. A truckload of information has just been dumped in our lap, courtesy of the wiki. That's, uh, I'm showing this right here. And I, I've learned that I have to like cut and paste wiki out into these articles because I have shown multiple times, like they totally gaslight me. Like I will quote from an article and they will, they will specifically change around just the words that I'm using, like just total gaslighting behaviors. So now I, I cut them out. So it, it would have to take the Mandela effect to change it. And what have we learned from the wiki article? The plague of Justinian began in 541, ended in 549. And I also, I, I clipped these in here just to show that like, just so you guys know I'm not plagiarizing or, you know, copying and pasting. Because I, I see people do that all the time. It drives me crazy. They copy and paste wiki and pretend like they wrote it. It ended in 549 and affected the entire Byzantine empire, especially the capital city of Byzantine, uh, Byzantium. It it being named after the emperor is obvious, the plague of Justinian. But then a man named Procopius is pinpointed as the official eyewitness. More on him in a moment, though his documentation is undoubtedly fueling the information provided. For example, we read how the plague arrived in Roman Egypt in 541, swished around the uh, like a happy poop emoji in the Mediterranean toilet bowl, infecting every corner of the empire by 543. Did you guys like that? Squished around like a happy poop emoji. I was pretty happy with that line when I wrote it. The following year, it swept beyond Rome's borders to Northern Europe and the Arabian Peninsula, essentially the ends of our known realm before finally coming to an end in 549. According to the official narrative, I attempted to track down a snapshot of this Procopius fellow, but only managed to nab a reported portrait of Justinian I. So there you go. The man of the hour, supposedly. That's the plague of Justinian guy right there, surrounded by a halo of all things. Well, getting back to the mysterious Procopius, I wanted to know what he actually said about the plague. But more importantly, I wanted to track down the source orchard and personally squeeze the juice from a hand-picked orange rather than drink from the strained carton which the Ministry of Truth has to offer. I think it took me like five minutes to write that line. Hope you guys enjoy it. Well, you'd be happy to note that my mission was a successful one. 
Procopius was most likely a state-sponsored propagandist, which is why his book survives. How that worked out with the Millennial Kingdom is a discussion for another time. But like Agent Josephus before him and far too many others to list, he too failed to foresee his post-Newtonian audience, as well as a potential Zionist fan base and royally slipped up. What I'm saying is, is he, like Josephus, who gave away, a, you know, like Josephus exposed like the, uh, the temple hoax in, in Jerusalem. Uh, wasn't his plan, but he did. Uh, you know, he pointed out that only Fort Antonia survived. And, uh, you know, uh, Agent uh, Procopius does similar things. The ministry likes to leave out the little important details of his report, which makes which make the spiritual connection, though I won't. What I'm saying here is that uh, if you go look at a lot of uh, websites re regarding what Procopius um, actually recorded, they leave out the spiritual stuff because i was shocked when i actually went and tra tracked down his book and read it i'm just like oh my goodness he's describing the apocalypse literally in every sense of the word hands down it was the apocalypse which uh, which procopius spoke of don't take my word for it read his recollections of the plague for yourself there's a link right there i actually put his uh his documentation up on the unexpected cosmology you can go read it for yourself i because i don't quote from the whole thing here I just dropped the link. It will lead you to my website, as I just mentioned, The Unexpected Cosmology, where the full passage can be scoured for all you sleuths out there. Because I will only be covering juicy morsels in the coming pages to, to save trees. And here's what he says. During these times, there was a pestilence by which the whole human race came near to being annihilated. Now, in the case of all other scourges sent from heaven, so he's saying it's coming from heaven. Some explanation of a cause might be given by daring men, such, such as the many theories propounded by those who are clever in these matters. Now, I should point out here that all like the like the when I went over the the five uh, thirty six paper, the documentarian he's like mocking he, like all these people are saying this is coming from heaven. This is a judgment from from the Most High. And he's just mocking. He's like, those are idiots that, for, for them to think that. This is just a natural, you know, never mind. The sun hasn't been seen for 18 months, right? 18 months. And he's he's trying to like explain it away. At this point, they have been through such hell on the earth that he he's just like, uh, you would have at this point to say that this does not come from Allah Hayam or Yahuwah. Uh, this doesn't come from, you have to be a very brave man to say that. For they love to conjure up causes which are absolutely incomprehensible to man and to fabricate outlandish theories of natural philosophy. He's basically saying that today we'd say the scientists, right? You know, listen to the scientists. He's like, you would have to be very brave to have to be a scientist to explain this away. He's saying that the, the, the natural philosophy people are fabricating outlandish theories and he'll give you why. Uh, and so all the people today that quote from Procopius, they're like, the, they, they try to reverse this to natural philosophy thinking. Knowing well that they are saying nothing sound, but considering it sufficient for them. If they completely deceive by their arguments, some of those whom they meet and persuade them to their view. So he's saying that there were people alive who were trying to say, yeah, all those, all the, the fact that we're like in the apocalypse right now, like that's not happening, right? So they're able to persuade some people, the, like the, the normies. 
But for the calamity, it is quite impossible either to express in words or to conceive in thought any explanation except indeed to refer to God. For it did not come in a part of the world nor upon certain men, nor did it confine itself to any season of the year. So that forms such circumstances, it might be possible to find subtle explanations of a cause, but it embraced the entire world. So the entire known world is being destroyed. And he's saying that it almost annihilated all of mankind. That's how bad this was. And blighted the lives of all men, though differing from one another in the most marked degree, respecting neither sex nor age. So it doesn't matter if you're man, woman, baby, uh, old man, whatever, it's taking everybody out. This is from Procopius History of the Wars 2. Top of the hour news has Procopius claiming the plague was such that the entire human race teetered upon extinction. No surprise, he furthermore states, there were quote unquote, clever men who were coming up with all sorts of theories, a likely reference to his contemporary controllers, I should have said the scientists, fleeing the happy poo emoji into the fantasy what sticks on the wall because of science, you know. We have already seen the lame explanation given to us by Cassidorus in regard to 536. He was the one I was talking about a few minutes ago. And the darkening of the sun. He was basically the science guy saying, oh, oh yeah, th th this is nothing supernatural about this. It can all be explained. Don't, you know, no reason to look, you know, too much into this. No reason to panic, people. Procopius says no explanation can be given unless God is referenced. That's not where he slipped up, though. You'll have to keep reading to see what I mean. And in the second year, it reached Byzantium in the middle of spring, where it happened that I was staying at the, that time. And it came as follows. Now, pay attention to this. You might want to hold on to something. Hold the loved one. Apparitions of supernatural beings in human guise. So they looked like humans, but they were supernatural beings. Of every description were seen by many persons. And those who encountered them thought that they were struck by the man they had met in this or that part of the body as it havened. And immediately upon seeing this apparition, they were seized also by the disease. Now, at first, those who met these creatures tried to turn them aside by uttering the holiest of names. But notice he doesn't say Yahushua HaMashiach here, the holiest names. I would say <clears throat> St. George, probably St. Nicholas, things like that. Like they're, they're calling out these these names that there might be holy names, but they're not the names that are above all names that are going to save them, right? <clears throat> uh, they they uttering the, the holiest of names and exercising them in other ways as well as each one could, but they accomplished absolutely nothing. They're saying they could not, they had no power over these spirits. For even in the sanctuaries where the most of them fled for refuge, so they're running into the holy places now, the synagogues, the churches, the temples, they were dying constantly. They're, they're fleeing into these temples. These holy places are still dropping over dead of the disease. But later on, they were unwilling even to give heed to their friends when they called to them. And they shut themselves up in the rooms and pretended that they did not hear, although their doors were being beaten down, fearing obviously, obviously that he who was calling was one of those demons. Did you get that? So people are now so afraid of these demonic entities that are being seen everywhere, that they are actually hiding in their in their rooms in their sheets. Someone's banging on the door and they're like, I'm not answering that. That might be my, you know, that might be the Grim Reaper. In fact, I actually think this is where the tradition of the Grim Reaper originated from, right here, this, this event. 
you know, death comes knocking, right? But in the case of some, the pestilence did not come on in this way, but they saw a vision and a dream and seemed to suffer the very same thing at the hands of the creature who stood over them. What it, he's talking about a succubus or incubus here. Or else to hear a voice foretelling to them that they were written down in the number of those who were to die. Well, that's lovely. You're just minding your own business and they come and whisper. You don't see them. They're like, you're next. You know, your number, your number, uh, you know, 100 million, 300 and, you know, seven or something like that. You're like, what? Who said that? They give you like serial number, you know. Say what? I hope you got all of that. I even highlighted everything, hoping that you wouldn't miss the good stuff. Wait, hold on. Let me serenade you with pictures from my own personal medieval art collection while I talk. And so, um, yeah, so there's some really creepy things going on in these pictures here. Here you see an incubus succubus over a bed, uh, giving someone the disease. Here you see a, a woman. She's a saint. I mean, she's got, she's hot, haloed, and she's probably seeing all sorts of holy names. She's being drugged off by the demon. Here you these demons, these you got these lovers, a, a couple. I'm not sure if those are homosexual couples. They look like a couple men, but I think that's a man and a woman down here, and the demons are all playing with them. We see them carrying off a child over here. Uh, here's a man, a demon hanging over him. There's Hellmouth there. I had to put Hellmouth in here. There, I guess the woman looks at it, she's like waving bye to everyone. Goodbye, everyone. She's going off into Hellmouth. Uh they're putting babies in the pots. Uh, this is strange. I think that's like an idol of uh, Jesus there. They're actually holding, this demon is holding this idol that the priest is praying to in bed, and it's showing that this demon has control over him with the idol of Jesus. That's intense. Uh, a person in bed, the demon is waving to him. This one here is giving, you know, inflicting him with this disease, uh, which I think is the same disease um yeah just look at this one here here's a saint with a halo and the demons are surrounding him and beating him with sticks that's better i can find dozens of sources which cite from procopius but not one of them care to fill us in on the little details nearly the entire world was decimated by a disease as you will recall but then to add to that the case of the cough <clears throat> was often, though not always, paired with a visit from spiritual entities. Procopius claims the victim would see the Ruach manifested before him and that only then the symptoms would follow. He says the victim would attempt to exercise his visitor without success. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, by time, you're such an unclean, unrighteous person, by time, that there's nothing you can do about it. And that even a plight to the corner sanctuary did not deter them. So frequent were so frequent were these reports among the diseased and dying that people were afraid to answer a knock on their door, supposing it might be an unclean ruach attempting to gain admittance. Is that where the Grim Reaper and the notion that death comes knocking originates from? Seems so. Uh, cue Beethoven's music. Dun, 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 dun. Even more wild is the number of reports from those who claimed a demon of the night hag persuasion visited them by night, letting them in on the news that they had been written down among the total tally of those who were destined to die. Yep, it's okay, you can say it. Apocalypse. Continuing with his quote. Now the disease in Byzantium ran a course of four months. 
And its greatest uh, virulence lasted about three. And, and at first, the deaths were a little more than the normal. So they weren't in freak mode at first. Then the mort mortality rose still higher. And afterwards, the tail of dead reached 5,000 each day. And again, it even came to 10,000 and still more than that. Now, this is just in the capital city, mind you. So by time they reached 10,000 a day, once it surpassed that, they stopped counting. Like, they're like, we give up. There, there were just people dropping over, being visited by this evil spirits every day. And they're just dropping over. Now, in the beginning, each man attended to the burial of the dead of his own house. And these they were even in, and these they threw even into the tombs of others. So like this is the opposite of grave robbing. Like there are so many people dying and they don't have the, the grave space. They're just opening up tombs and throwing people into random tombs. Either escaping detection or using violence. Some so some of these tombs are being guarded and they have to use violence to get rid of the guard to bring in these dead bodies. And this is at first, mind you. This is before it's really bad. But afterwards, confusion and disorder everywhere became complete. For slaves remained destitute of masters, and men who in former times were very prosperous were deprived of the service of their domestics, who were either sick or dead, and many houses became completely destitute of human inhabitants. It's crazy. I mean, just entire household, just neighborhoods wiped out, just empty, dark. For this, and the, you, you just imagine like the masters, they're dead in the big house, and all the slaves are just standing around like, what do we do now? For this reason, it came about that some of the notable men of the city, because of the universal destitution, remained unburied for many days. Like they, they didn't even know they were dead or they didn't know what to do with them. I mean, these are the notable people. These are like, you know, senators and stuff. They're just lying dead. I'm like, well, we'll get to them when we can. At that time, all the customary rites of burial were overlooked. For the dead were not carried out, escorted by a procession in the customary manner nor were the usual chants sung over them. But it was sufficient if one carried on his shoulders the body of one of the dead to the parts of the city which bordered on the sea and flung him down. So now they're, they're, they're taking him to the cliffside and throwing him down into the ocean. They're not even burying him in, in broad pits by this point. Because for a long time, they were just digging, digging these mass graves. And when it went over like 10,000 a day, they're like, that's it, just sit him in the ocean. Can you imagine all his body just bobbing out there in the waters? And there the corpses would be thrown upon skiffs in a heap to be conveyed wherever it might chance. The mortality rate in Byzantium was such that it, its tally soared to 5,000 per day. Because bodies needed dispose of, random tombs were filled. It appears as though some of them were guarded because the grave fillers did so by force. The mortality rate in Byzantium alone then rose to 10,000 per day. Mind you, this is not the rest of the world. This is just that city. He's just documenting what's happening there. And it isn't, isn't it interesting that for something that was this worldwide, uh, to my understanding, we just have his documentation. That's it. And I think that's very telling. Very telling. But then as the corpses surpassed even that number, they stopped bothering to count. Entire houses were destitute of inhabitants. Procopius describes a destitution so universal that even notable names were left where they lay for many days thereafter, and so somebody could get around to burying them. It gets worse. Because there was no room to bury the dead, bodies were left stacked in the open. Funeral uh, rites were often left unattended to. 
The entire city held the stench of rotting corpses. Eventually, they started carting off the bodies by the truckload and then dumping them into the sea. I will remind you again that this account comes down to us from Byzantium alone. What was going on in the rest of the world? I can only figure the other documentarians were scrubbed. That or all hell was breaking loose. And the others were too busily occupied running and screaming to take the pen to paper. Which reminds me, here is one more interesting scene from Procopius's account. Nay more, those who in times past used to take delight in devoting themselves to pursuits both shameful and base. He's talking about the sinners now. Shook off the unrighteousness of their daily lives and practiced the duties of religion with diligence. They're, they're afraid, right? Not so much because they had learned wisdom at last, nor because they had become all of a sudden lovers of virtue, as it were. For when qualities have become fixed in men by nature or by the training of a long period of time, it is impossible for them to lay them aside thus lightly, except indeed some divine influence for good has breathed upon them. We saw this when we're reading through the Exodus account in our last session tonight in the Torah portions, how it, like a lot of these Egyptians, even though El Shaddai is right there and they can see Yahuwah visibly manifested in the sky, uh, in this Perusia, they still chose to not want anything to do with them, which is just unbelievable to think about, right? But then all, so to speak, being thoroughly terrified by the things which were happening and supposing that they would die immediately did, as was natural, learn respect a respectability for a season by sheer necessity. However, therefore, as soon as they were rid of the disease and were saved, my, I remind you now, it was mostly a four-month stint in, in the capital city. So they repent for like four months. The people who survived then, and he says, and already supposed that they were in security since the curse had moved on to other peoples of the world. Then they turned sharply about and reverted once more to their baseness of hearts. And now, more than before, they make a display of the inconsistency of their conduct, altogether surpassing themselves in villainy and in lawlessness of every sort. He's saying that when they, those who survived this, it was a fake repentance. It wasn't a true repentance. And they became even more lawless than before. Really interesting. The human condition. There is no hiding the fact that the disease originated from unclean Ruakoth, and furthermore, that they targeted the unclean. That is to say, the cough of Justinian apparently had no effect on the righteous sons of Allah Hayam. Go figure. None of our official storytellers will let you in on that detail, most likely because they themselves are agnostic. So I may as well relay the reality of the world we live in. On the flip, we read of those who tried their hands at righteousness so as not to be included in the kill count, though once it was over, they removed their mask and multiplied their lawlessness, as we just read. You've heard me say it before, and supposing I continue the investigation, this certainly won't be the last. The beginning and the end of the thousand-year reign of Mashiach was bookmarked with rebellion. If you remember what I uh, what talked about the, uh, the sibling oracles, it talked about when the government of, of Mashiach comes upon the earth, that there would be so much rebellion. Like it wasn't just a smooth transition. Like it was people being like, yeah, we visibly see you and we don't want anything to do with you. We, don't, we do not want this. We do not want your laws, your righteousness. There was just rebellion. 
And this is where I think the Quran came in, by the way. The actors are everywhere, and nothing causes a hypocrite to squirm more than Yahuwah's instructions in righteous living. That would be the Torah. Uh, I have a, a, a fan base of hate. <laughs> they just can't stand my work because I'm all about the Torah. And it's just, it's, it was like that in the millennial kingdom. Like that, that, that's what God, guys, the, the people ask me all the time, why did the kingdom come to an end? Well, the king had laws and the people disobeyed the laws. So, you know, think about what those laws might be. Like what if they're written down in our Bible? All right. Part two of this. Angels and demons in the seven days of apocalypse. Now that we've managed to survive the initial end of the world trilogy, that's a reference to my three papers, 536, 537, and this one, 541, in case you've lost uh, your bearing, I think it's high time we put this conversation to the test of apocalyptic literature. What says you? Do you yield? I'm feeling lucky. How about you, punk? <laughs> I've been watching too much. Um, yeah, Dirty Harry. It's true. I watched Dirty Harry lately. So, anyways, are you feeling lucky? I'm. It's getting late, guys. I need some more tea. I'm not feeling that lucky right now. And I actually wrote there. I'm feeling over the weather. Thanks for asking. Actually, right now I'm feeling like it's late. Something that I started noticing several years ago is that for the most part, apocalyptic literature takes a drastic turn from Revelation. And it only makes sense that it would. So what I'm saying here is that what, what the mistake we make, because we're all trained and indoctrinated into thinking that Revelation has not happened yet, that the Bible comes to a sudden, you know, there's this constant continuation. It comes to a sudden end, and then nothing is going to happen for 2,000 years. We just have to wait. You know, every generation thinks they're the fig tree generation. They're the ones that it's all going to unfold. And especially now more than ever, it's like the most narcissistic generation ever. And everyone thinks that they are entitled to have this happen in their generation. Well, one thing I have found is that, you know, understanding that Revelation is a fulfillment of 70 AD, it was written, it came to an end. When you start looking at apocalyptic literature, literature afterwards in the second, third century, so on and so forth, so forth, it takes a very, it looks very different. It, it's, it's, when you try to like make it work with Revelation, it doesn't. It looks very different. Like they are clearly not trying to replicate or copy. I think they all knew Revelation happened. I really do. And they're trying to, um, they're writing literature that shows what is going to happen in the sixth century, according to the timeline. I certainly wouldn't be the first to point out the obvious, though in my book, The Glorious Appearing of Yehusha Mashiach, 70 AD being a fulfillment of scriptural prophecy is laid out on my part. Wishful thinking would misplace the book 2,000 years in our future to the Zionist deception which is a ridiculous notion, uh, I humbly submit. Slap yourselves out of it, please, out of the Zionist deception. Just please. I, I'm, people just, just eat from the Zionist spoon. They just devour it. And the Jesuit one. As such, the other apocalyptic books on the shelf are confused and then thrown into the wastebasket when they don't line up with Revelation. Because there's all these apocalyptic books that people don't know what to do with them because they don't seem to... to line up with the, the Zionist timeline. Such a shame since text such as what I'm about to show and tell with the class had its readers looking ahead rather than the mile markers behind them. His story functions in a circular fashion rather than linear. 
making prophecy a repeated affair. So we see, you know, blood moons and and sackcloth suns and locusts and all sorts of things and earthquakes, you know, just wars just repeated again and again, stars falling from the sky. There are many antichrists and false prophets. People keep asking me, but Noel, who was the who was the antichrist? Well, what do you, what do you mean? There's been many antichrists. The spirit of antichrist. It's the lawlessness. It's without Torah, right? And there might be another antichrist. I could care. Fine, fine, fine. Let the New World Order, the Illuminati, bring out their antichrist. I fine. That doesn't disprove anything. Doesn't mean there wasn't an antichrist. There are many antichrists and false prophets and beast kingdoms in need of a good butt whopping throughout the centuries and as there is now and always, though only once was the whore divorced by Yahuwaha, as we saw in Revelation, the whore was Yehuda. Now, maybe Rome is a whore. Um, you, would, you would have to, I, I have no problem with Rome being the whore Babylon. Um, the thing is, though, is, is, you know, I make the case in the glorious appearing that the idea of a whore is that this is language that you have to be in a covenant to begin with. Though you'd have to argue, was Rome ever in a covenant with uh, Yahuwah? Maybe, maybe it was. But Yehuda, just like, remember, Israel played the part of the whore, and Yehuda was far worse, right? Yehuda became a whore. And this was what I, the, this is the, the whore Babylon being destroyed in Revelation. Anyways, and that, that's, of course, Jerusalem burning. The, the, the beast burned, burned the whore, Jerusalem. Anyways, as I was saying, for the longest time, post-canonical apocalypse literature didn't make a whole lot of sense, mostly because they are so often felt detached from Revelation. And of course, that was the intent all along. Different visions, new resets, you know the drill. I'm being totally serious about the end of the world trilogy, by the way. On most occasions, you can flub your way through these papers, not clicking on the links, not following the footnotes, not doing your background research or homework, and still make heads or tails of what I'm talking about. And I, I'm a lot of you, you know, you, you've been following me all along, but for some, that one person who jumps on this video like, oh, this looks interesting, and it, it, I'm sorry, I'm talking about all these things. You're like, what? Got a lot of, you know... Uh, a lot of digging uh, to a lot of uh, homework to catch up on. Good luck with that this time around because it won't happen. Not going to repeat all that information here either. You know, I'm not going to rehearse like three or four books worth of inf information. Obviously, I can't. Also, what I'm aiming to do is present to you the entirety of a passage without breaking for a commercial sponsor. All comments will be relegated to afterwards. The text is called The Apocalypse of Taom. By the way, a Taeyong would be the same as Doubting Thomas. So this is the Apocalypse of Thomas. Very fascinating book. And here's what it says. So reading from the book uh, directly all the way through. A uh, little drink first. Hear thou, O Taeyong, for I am the son of Alahayam, the father, and I am the father of all Ruachoth. Hear thou of me the signs which shall come to pass at the end of this world. When the end of the world shall be fulfilled before mine elect depart out of the world. And I would think this would be the Exodus I talked about in the last session. I will tell thee that which shall come to pass openly unto men. But when these things shall be the princes of the angels know not, seeing it is now hidden from before. Then shall there be in the world participations between king and king, and in all the earth shall be great famine, great pestilences, and many distresses. 
And the sons of men shall be led captive among all nations and shall fall by the edge of the sword. That's the other thing. Uh, the, the documentarians during this time said that it was endless war. The whole world was a war. This is like, you know, we talked about World War I, World War II, and coming World War III. Like, this was the world war. It was just everywhere. Every, every country was just, there was blood. And there shall be great commotion in the world. Then after that, when the hour of the end draws nigh, there shall be for seven days great signs in heaven. So seven days, seven signs to look for, and the powers of the heavens shall be moved. Then shall there be on the first day the beginning. At the third hour of the day, a great and mighty voice in the firmament of heaven and a bloody cloud coming up, or alternately, alternatively down, out of the north, and great thunderings and mighty lightnings shall follow it. Uh, 536, anyone? And it shall cover the whole heaven, and there shall be a rain of blood upon all the earth. These are the signs of the first day. And on the second day, there shall be a great voice in the firmament of heaven. And the earth shall be moved out of its place, and the gates of heaven shall be opened in the firmament of heaven toward the east. And the smoke of a great fire shall break forth through the gates of heaven, and shall, and shall cover all the heaven until evening. In that day, there shall be fears and great terrors in the world. These are the signs of the second day. But on the third day, about the third hour, shall be a great voice in heaven, and the abysses of the earth shall roar from the four corners of the world. The pinnacles of the firmament of heaven shall be opened, and all, and all the air shall be filled with pillars of smoke. There shall be a stench of brimstone, very evil, until the tenth hour, and men shall say, We think the time draws nigh that we perish. These are the signs of the third day. And of course, all the controllers are writing their papers going, anyone who thinks that this is spiritual, you know, needs to get more scientific. You know, listen to, you know, listen to the scientist. And, and the rest of the people are like, you're crazy, man. Like, this is, we're all about to die. And on the fourth day at the first hour, from the land of the east, the abyss shall melt and roar. Then shall all the earth be shaken by the might of an earthquake. In that day shall the ornaments of the heathen fall and all the buildings of the earth before the might of the earthquake. These are the signs of the fourth day. But on the fifth day at the sixth hour, suddenly there shall be a great thundered heaven and the powers of light and the wheel of the sun shall be caught away and there shall be great darkness in the world until evening and the air shall be gloomy without sun or moon and the stars shall cease from their ministry. So is this like all connecting with you guys? I hope so. I mean, it is for me. In that day shall all nations behold as in a mirror and shall despise the life of this world. These are the signs of the fifth day. And on the sixth day at the fourth hour, there shall be a great voice in heaven and the firmament of the heaven shall be cloven from the east into the west. And the angels of the heaven shall be, this is fascinating, pay attention to this. And the angels of the heaven, of the heavens, shall be looking forth upon the earth by the openings of the heavens. And all these that are on the earth shall behold the host of the angels looking forth out of heaven then shall, i think we're at the plague of justinian now then shall all men flee into the mount onto to the monuments where did we read that tonight and hide themselves from the face of the righteous angels and say would that the earth would open and swallow us up and such things shall come to pass as never were since this world was created then shall they behold so after this event then shall they behold me coming from above in the light of my Father with the power and honor of the holy angels. Then in my coming shall the fence of fire of paradise be done away because paradise is girt round about with fire. And this shall be the perpetual fire that shall consume the earth and all the elements of the world. 
Then shall the Ruachoth and souls of all men come forth from paradise and shall come upon all the earth. And every one of them shall go unto his own body where it is laid up. And every one of them shall say, here lieth my body. So now we're looking at the resurrection. Angels come. Yahushua reveals himself. Resurrection. And when this would, you know, and when the great voice of those Ruachoth shall be heard, then there shall be a great earthquake over all the world, and by the might thereof the mountains shall be cloven from above and the rocks from beneath. Then shall every Ruach return into his own vessel, and the bodies of the saints which have fallen asleep shall rise. Then shall their bodies be changed into the image and likeness and honor of the holy angels, and into the power of the image of my holy Father. Then shall they be clothed with the vesture of life eternal, out of the cloud of light which hath never been seen in this world. For that cloud cometh down out of the highest realm of the heaven from the power of my Father. And that cloud shall compass about with the beauty thereof all the Ruachoth that have believed in me. Then shall they be clothed and shall be borne by the hand of the holy angels, like as I have told you aforetime. Then also shall they be lifted up into the air upon a cloud of light, and shall go with me rejoicing into heaven. And then shall they continue in the light and honor of my Father. Then shall there be unto them great gladness with my Father and before the holy angels. These are the signs of the sixth day. And on the seventh day, at the eighth hour, it's kind of interesting, the number eight there. There shall be voices in the four corners of the heaven. And all the air shall be shaken and filled with holy angels. And they shall make war among them all day long. And in that day shall mine elect be sought out by the holy angels from the destruction of the world. So there's still, you know, even though he talked about all the elements melting and, you know, all these things happening, you think like, you know, people make this big deal out of it, but then it's like there's still people on the earth, right? So, you know, we, there's very extravagant language, but it's like, no, people still survive this. Then shall all men, so there's still all men, and they're unrighteous men. They've survived seeing Yahushua come. They've survived the angels. They've survived the fire, the, the melting of all the elements. They're still alive on the earth. Then shall all men see that the hour of their destruction has drawn near. These are the signs of the seventh day. And when the seven days are passed by, on the eighth day, at the sixth hour, there shall be a sweet and tender voice in the heaven from the east. Then shall that angel be revealed, which hath power over the holy angels, and all the angels shall go forth with him, sitting upon chariots of the cloud of mine holy father, rejoicing and running upon the air beneath the heaven to deliver the elect that have believed in me. So the elect are still on the earth. Uh, they're just now being delivered. And they shall rejoice that the destruction of this world hath come. The words of the Savior into Teom are ended concerning the end of the world. So this, it ends with the, the, the settlement of Mashiach's kingdom upon the earth. And the destruction, the final destruction at that time of the, the uh, controllers. Some among the eschatological Tartar crew, do you like that? Eschatological Tartars. Some, some may not find that very uh, complimentary. May still attempt and wedge this passage into the Revelation account, but at present I'm not seeing it. The current proposed timeline makes the most sense. Days 1 through 5 appear to line up at the 536 events. Or at least what they, you know, the way they tell us. We see fire and smoke, thunderings and earthquakes, all of which can be explained by a volcanic winter, especially the part regarding the sun and the moon and the stars failing to give their light. And we read that in, in past reports. But that's not exactly how it's phrased. I fear I've misquoted. The actual line goes as follows. The powers of light and the wheel of the sun shall be caught away, and there shall be great darkness in the world until evening, and the air shall be gloomy without sun or moon, 
and the stars shall cease from their ministry. Read it again and again if necessary. Tell me that's not a picture-perfect description of the 536 fire events, wherein the sun failed to give light to the earth for a stunning 18 months. And why is there this creepy-looking uh, angel from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Well, I'll, I'm about to tell you. What that tells us is that day six likely picks up with the plague of Justinian, which it most certainly does. Read that one again with the cough the <clears throat> in mind. Remember how Procopius described countless victim reports of demons visiting them so as to inflict the disease? They may very well have been demons. I even showed the artwork to back up the claim, though in reality, I'm uncertain. I wasn't there to be visited by one. According to the Apocalypse of Taom, if we line this up, it is righteous angels who would peer through the firmament and make themselves known, not evil ones. We then see men flee to the monuments, hoping to uh, bend over into the fetal position and hide and kiss their butts goodbye. That right there does that right there does happen to match up with Procopius's report. He said men evacuated to these sanctuaries, employing any number of holy names, but were incapable of warding them off. Perhaps they really were righteous angels after all, and the unrighteous were far too unrighteous to tell the difference. Remember now, I mean, to uh, the the darkness can't see the light, right? Righteousness is always repugnant to the lawless, you know. And then we have these two creepy pictures here. Same angel, by the way. So I'm, I'm giving an example here of something that's beautiful one and is uh, horrific to somebody else. Movie reference. It's why I showed you a picture of the angel from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was the 80s. First film that I watched in a drive-in theater. You had to have been there. And now I'm showing you two more, the before and the after. She straight up melted everyone's unclean face straight off. You think her victims would attribute righteousness to a heavenly ruach like that? Exactly. Best to mind your own business like a good boy and obey the commands. And then you won't be visited by one. Start by keeping Sabbath and then think about laying off the pork. You're still, that, that upset so many people just now, I know. But it's, it's a command. It's in the Bible, guys. If you don't want to keep it, you might as well just, you know, be honest and just rip those pages out of your Bible. I'm just seriously. I mean, it's like, why do people even have the Old Testament in their Bible if they're not going to read it and, and obey it? You're still bound to hear and knock on your door at the hour of your appointment, but there's a far better chance it won't be the Cub Scouts from Tataris. I must say a lot of people claim they've written a book on how to live like Jesus, but wouldn't you know it? Moshe already wrote one. In fact, he wrote five of them, the things they don't teach you in church. I just went to the used bookstore today. And there's all, there's literally these books there on how to live like Jesus. And I'm like, don't we have that in Genesis through Deuteronomy? Pretty sure. Moshe already wrote the book. <laughs> Yahushua said Moshe wrote of him, right? So the other event that happens on the sixth day, that is after the angels poke their heads out from the heavens, scaring the normies, is the appearance of Yahushua HaMashiach in the clouds, as well as the resurrection of the dead. Procopius doesn't mention those two. Well, darn. I must have it all wrong then. Best to close shop on the entire investigation. And here we were expecting our controllers to starve off the propaganda and keep to the his, 
historical book rather than their Illuminati version, LOL. Interestingly enough, there's also a seventh day as well as an eighth. The seventh deals primarily with a war amongst the sons of darkness and light. Sounds like something from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I might go through at a later time. Indeed, because I do think that there was a long war that went out that lasted for decades. Like I said, I don't think it was just a clean transition. And in that time, you would have plenty of time for, for, for propaganda. I mean, how, what were the Goths? I mean, we know about the, the, the Saxons, but what about the Goths? I kind of think that maybe they were as well, the Sons of Light. Because, you know, Goth is a, it's not a complimentary word, right? Kind of like the Gothic cathedrals. It was, they were putting everything in Orwellian fashion in reverse. Indeed, the controllers were given more time to tidy up the propaganda in hopes that they would win the day. I think for another, for, for decades still. And who knows how long their last-ditch effort lasted. The kingdom wasn't welcomed by just about everyone. Experience has shown that you can't present the Torah to anyone without kicking and screaming. That ends out there. So next week, I'm going to cover Muhammad and the Millennial Kingdom. I can't wait to cover that. And uh, this concludes the late show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, I'll... Be, I think just going back, can you imagine me recording that and then editing that whole thing? That would have taken me two days of work. Um, I was just like, I couldn't bear to do that. And I got it done in one hour. It's great. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy that. And uh, Shabbat Shalom one more time, everybody. Enjoy your uh, your day of rest. You know, that the slavery, the bondage of, of resting once a week. Don't you just love it? Uh, good night, everybody. Love you guys.